Welcome to Podcetera. Each episode is a journey of discovery as we delve into topics that pique our curiosity and yours. We feature in-depth interviews with fascinating individuals who have extraordinary stories to share. I'm Renee Lego. I'm Joelle Ludovich. And this is Podcetera. <laughs> Maria and Dara, welcome to Podcetera. Can you tell us each a little bit about yourself? Thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate the opportunity. I'm Maria Quattrone. I've been in the real estate industry for 20 years, and I'm the owner of Remax at Home and Modern Mortgage Solutions here in Philadelphia, women-owned business. I am married with three little boy kitties. And Dara, Sure. My name's Dara Ellis. I've been in the real estate business almost 40 years in one way or another. 25 as a real estate developer of my own company. And for the last seven years, I've been here with Maria as her sales team member, broker record, basically all around teammate. What inspired both of you to pursue a career in real estate? I wanted to leave the industry that I was in, which is advertising sales. I sold radio for 11 years and I wanted an opportunity to create my own destiny. And I found real estate to be that source and had a passion for it. Did you work on the side with real estate before you got started or did you just go right into it? No, when I started, which was um, February 2004, I was working both radio and real estate for one year. And I wouldn't say that I was part-time. I would say that I just worked all the time, seven days a week. The truth of what inspired me to go into the real estate business was my mother saying that the road to financial freedom was always going to be through real estate, that all people of wealth in the country had real estate. When we were children, we would go to open houses for no reason with her. It was always in the back of my mind that real estate was something that was lucrative, but I didn't go into that right away as a career path. And the thing that inspired me to actually make the jump full-time into real estate was that I shadowed someone that was a real estate developer. And I really was amazed at their day-to-day -day activity, how exciting it was. And then I actually got a job with that company and then I became a partner. I was wondering if you could tell us about the agency and what's unique about it. The company is Remax at Home, Maria Quattrone and Associates. And what's unique about us is that we practice what's called Resi Marshall. So we work with clients on the acquisition and disposition of their assets whether it be an industrial building, multifamily, mixed use, adaptive reuse for development around up new construction, as well as working with investors buying single family homes, homeowners and home sellers. And we are a team office. That's very different for a brokerage. So we all work together and we have people in our organization that specialize in each individual area. Is there anything in particular that's unique to Philadelphia real estate? I don't know exactly what goes on in real estate in Cleveland or Texas or whatever, but I think for the most part, there's, you know, generalities that are very, very similar. 
There's a few things in Philadelphia real estate that are interesting at the moment. It's one of the most significant major cities in the United States, and it's still affordable actually to buy a home. So that's very unusual if you're just looking at home sales. The other thing that's very interesting to me about it in comparison maybe to some other areas is that for a large city, we're not vertical, we're more linear. So we spread out over what we call the Philadelphia metropolitan area with Bucks County, Montgomery County, Delaware County, maybe parts of South Jersey. It's all considered the Philadelphia market. We've never seen the highs of other cities. So we haven't seen also the lows of other cities when the market does readjust. How would you say since you've started that the role of the industry has evolved or changed in the last 15, 20 years? One thing I would say is that with the internet and with things like DocuSign, it has sure made things a little bit easier. Back in the day, and Dowry, even it was even before this, they used to have a book, but before they, they had the MLS, but the MLS has allowed us to move quicker, buyers be able to see properties faster through the different portals as well and make things a little bit more efficient. Although there was probably still about 200 moving parts in a transaction, literally, it has made it a bit simpler than it was 20 years ago. So many technological advances besides the computer, the cell phone, going from using a MacBook. We used to have to have, you know, 50 MacBooks in our trunk because we might go to an area that we weren't familiar with. If I had to use a MacBook today, I wouldn't be able to read it because I can't see and I would need, you know, magnifying glass to be able to do it. But now we have Google Maps and we can get places easier. We could talk to people in other areas. We have investors that come from all over the country. I might not meet them ever. We talk on Zoom. We ratify everything on DocuSign. So all of that's amazing. Yeah. What's a map? a paper map anymore, like a book map. Young people today, they're like, that is not a concept they understand. Take the map with you in the car, figure out where you're going, pull over and drive to the next location. Not only did we have to know how to do that in the past, but we also had to, you know, map it out for our clients as well. And that was before there was MapQuest. So we had to actually somehow relay this to the people. It was a lot more time consuming, not having DocuSign meant that we had to take a contract directly to the people, get it signed, then bring it to the other office. This all had to be done in a period of time. You might spend hours in the car one day to do a transaction, which can now be ratified like in 10 minutes. Just with all the different technology that you say that we have, how do you compete in a, a different climate now of things at your fingertips. There's a lot more competition. There are online real estate portals and websites. How do you sort of find in this world now? So one of the ways that I know that I can compete with other people is that there's no substitution for experience and being prepared. So you can have a person that's new and has all the technology and whatever, and they can't solve a real estate problem like I might be able to, or Maria might be able to, and therefore they're not going to have the same impact that we have on the client. The technology is a little disconcerting when large corporations are buying all the name brands, 
portals that we recognize. I'm not even going to say what they are. You can say it if you want to, but they're all now intertwined. And in the future, we're not going to be able to maybe compete with those pockets, right? If they can buy all the advertising time and whatever, but on a local scale, they're not going to have the impact that Maria Quattrone has or that I have because we know the market, we're prepared, we're here. And there is still a big component of the personal touch, so to speak. I have business people that don't want to do business unless they can literally shake your hand. And that's not going to happen with companies that are 100% online. How do you think the role of the real estate agent has changed or evolved? The roles have always been similar in that we have to find properties for people to buy and help people prepare and market their properties to sell, whether it's one house or, you know, a giant commercial building, there's marketing involved. So it's always been a career in marketing and things like that. The way that it's changed over the years is that we can do things more strategically now because of technology and things like that. We no longer suffer the fact that in some societies before women had to wear skirts and wear high heels while doing it. We don't have to do that anymore. From a, a female standpoint, that's one of the ways that it's changed. The other thing that's changed is that people are a little bit more involved from a younger age than they used to be. Years ago, you didn't get involved in real estate till you were a certain age. Now there's people in their 20s or younger or whatever that all know that this is a way to wealth and things like that. Years ago, people didn't buy houses until they were a certain age. They lived with their parents or they lived in apartments. It was normal to do that. I think as a career in the past, Men were full-time real estate agents and women, it was more like housewives going back, you know, 30 years or so. Now I would say that there are a lot of professional full-time real estate agents who this is not, you know, a housewife career. I entered in this business when I was 33, I guess, and I left another industry that I was in for 11 years. But what's interesting is that there's a very small percentage of women in leadership roles on a national level. I actually looked it up. Since 1978, women have comprised the majority of realtors and 66% of real estate agents in the U.S. are women. Do you think that seems right? Probably close. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think it's right. You know, Maria and I often say that the men get the accolades because they're the, the giant real estate developers that we hear about on the news and so forth. And that the women, we call them boots on the ground, right? We're the ones that really facilitate how the average American gains wealth and buys real estate. And Maria and I also happen to do commercial as well. But for the most part, we're the ones that bring it to the general public. We're not sitting in a boardroom. When I say we, I mean women in general. But that's nationally across all industries. I don't think it's just ours. I think if you look at the wealth management market or other industries, you're going to find the same thing. I was at a holiday party last week. I looked around the room and I was with a gentleman. He's African-American. And I said, go around the room. What do you see? He said, wait. And I said, you know what I see? Men. 
was at an attorney's firm, but it was heavy real estate. Commercial? Commercial development. I've been going to this party for 20 years. I actually told the story of the first time I was at the party. You could actually still smoke. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But most of the night I spoke with men. In commercial real estate, 2020, women make up 36.7%. I'm actually shocked that that's the number. So I personally think maybe in this market or maybe in other markets, I don't know how it's averaged out, but I think it's less than that, actually. I do in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, it's definitely less than that. And I've been in the commercial real estate field for a, a long time because I was an owner of a company and people would come to me to sell me things or whatever. Out of, you know, 10 agents that would come to me, maybe one would be a woman. It's not just people that are licensed agents, right? In this business, we also deal with bankers. They're primarily men. We deal with attorneys. They're primarily men. We deal with builders. They're primarily men. We deal with city officials. They're primarily men. Got a lot of change in the deal. Mm-hmm. I don't think that things have changed that much for women since the 90s. I don't think that it has been as progressive as it could or should be. And I think that stems from home. I think it starts there. I think it starts very, very, very early on in the formative years. But if it doesn't change there, it's not going to change elsewhere. So in creating your own business, and Dara, you've been in a business yourself, right? Any backlash in the room when you're working with primarily male clients or counterparts? This is something that women in business come you know, come to all the time. Barbara Corcoran, who's absolutely famous in the real estate business, used the fact that she had nice legs to make business deals. And she said it in public. I'm not the type of person that would sexualize myself in order to make a deal work. But I do know that I have to be more prepared, work harder, show up earlier. I know Maria will say some of these same things. In order to just get in the door of the club, we have to try 10 times harder. And that all comes from how I was raised. I was told that I could do anything I wanted, so nothing ever stopped me. But other women that are trying to enter this field might have some setbacks. There's commercial real estate brokers here in Philadelphia. They won't even take our call. I don't think it's specific to the real estate industry. Right. I think sometimes we're the better candidate for a job. And I think we lose it to men, like the good old boys club kind of thing, sticking with the tribe. I feel like a lot of our clients are from all different backgrounds, from other countries. And they actually tend to, I think this, have more respect And some of the ways that I had to compete in the past weren't something that I really liked. You know, I had to be super aggressive, fighting with these people to get them to do what they need to do, you know, go to their level. Like climbing up this hole and it's raining. Got so burnt out from it. I just was like, I'm done with these people. I'm done being treated. And I was verbally harassed for years. It was very disheartening. And it actually, ruined my perception of builders and wanting to work with them, some of these people. And I don't care what you do. Nobody has a right to be mean and demeaning to any other human. But there's some kind of pompousness that is in real estate. That's why consumers 
you know, they don't like developers. They don't like a lot of consumers don't like real estate people just in general. There is something about it. I'm not sure, but I can tell you that I've had to work harder than others. And I know that I am more educated on the topics and a better candidate for the position, but yet lost it because, quite frankly, being a woman. Do women who are buying, do they prefer working with a woman? I think on the residential side, yes. I think a lot of women like working with other women. We've gotten requests when people call that they want to work with women brokers. I wouldn't be one that would prefer one thing over another, except for my personality is that I think of all the women that are in my life that are in other careers or whatever, and I know how prepared they are before they go into the office or before they take on something in their practice or whatever. And I would always choose a woman because I know they take those steps. And this is strictly anecdotal. And men that I have had experience with in the past, say, for example, attorneys or engineers that I've worked with, other professionals, I call flying by the seat of your pants. They come late to a meeting or they don't show up or they have all their assistants do the work and they don't ever have to be right and they could still win. So we have to always be a little bit better. I asked this question to one of our other guests because she's a woman starting a wine business and trying to break into a market where it's all male dominated. How can your male counterparts help you or help women in the industry? This goes back to what Marie said. People have to raise strong girls and strong women. And they also have to start telling young boys that girls are equal to them. You know, we can't idolize just male figures all the time. We don't have a female president, people. <laughs> how many people in the Senate are women and how many are men? It's like easy math, but it does go back to how people are raised, not just men. But eventually, because the world is changing, there's not going to be the us and them anymore. It's going to be the gender part's going to be neutral. Maybe it'll shift to something else. Maybe it's going to shift to only the rich get this and the poor don't get it or whatever. The, you know, we have to change things from grounds up in every aspect of our society, not just real estate. I also think as a woman, when you're strong and aggressive, that you can label some names. Leona Helmsley, another famous person, probably more involved in the day-to-day -day activity of a real estate empire than her husband was a very smart woman. She was crowned the queen of mean. I don't know if she was probably just trying to get stuff done. Yeah, that's the perception thing that Miriam mentioned too, is part of that as well. It's another way of demeaning women that if we're strong and aggressive and, you know, maybe if we raise our voice or try to be more emphatic about something that, you know, we're called, and I guess we can say this on the air, bitches. <laughs> That's the terminology that everybody skirts around, but it happens everywhere. When you're being assertive, you're labeled. Yeah, when you're being assertive, you're actually just working for your client, trying to get the deal done, trying to get something closed. Sometimes it requires that, and sometimes it requires mirroring the other person, and they might be aggressive with us. So what are we going to do? Just cower down? No, we have to be aggressive back to them. That's how you have to be in business. That's how you have to be in life. <laughs> when you're entering the room for whatever deal, is that in your head? Yeah. 
I'll let Maria answer for herself. But for me, yes, it is. I might dress differently also. I don't change where I wear high heels to a thing and, you know, whatever. I definitely carry myself bigger. I'm not a big person. I'm a small person. I definitely articulate things a little bit differently. I'm one that uh, negotiates a lot in silence. I sometimes shut up for like two minutes, try and get them to say something. This might not be how men have to operate, but this is how I have to operate to get things done. I have a little bit of a different approach. I'm a very gregarious personality. Usually when I'm entering a room, so to speak, I feel powerful. And it's not in so much in how you say it, but it's just a sense of command. And it's not about being loud. It's about being in control and walking in grace. And know that you know what you're talking about. I 150% know what I'm talking about, so I have a lot of confidence. And I think that it comes through in the way a person moves, the way a person speaks, the way their tonality, right, and how they project themselves. And I think about it as a way of just being authentic to who I am as a human. It's not like a show, so to speak, just a way of always presenting. I think part of that too for me is I've been doing videos for a while and with videos, you become more aware of your speech, your tonality, the way you enunciate or not, when to be a little bit more dramatic pullback. I learned a lot over the last couple of years, especially this year. I've done so many. And when you're doing video, like I'm staring at myself most of the time. So I listen to old ones. I've noticed like a change in the way that I speak. And it actually is giving me more confidence. Who would you say if anyone was someone that you looked up to or someone that you would consider a mentor in the business? I had a couple of mentors when I was young. I didn't know necessarily that they were mentors, but in retrospect, I realized that I gained a lot of knowledge from them and that they were definitely critical in the success of my real estate career. One of them was Marie Rose who is the mother of a friend of mine. She was a real estate broker back in the 80s. And she taught me sales techniques. She taught me how to cold call. She taught me how to be consistent with the calls, what to say to them, how to close a deal, how to get people to sign things. All those good sales practices that are still used today. We use scripts. I wouldn't have known maybe what a script was or whatever. So she was very important to the success of my career. The fact that I was able to listen and keep it in the back of my mind. And then the other person was my partner, Robin Carmen, the real estate developer, self-made, had her work her way up in a man's world. That's the person that I shadowed and then actually transitioned into real estate as a full-time career. Her secret sauce is that she has tremendous work ethic. And she also is an amazing, complex problem solver. And that really is what real estate's all about. You're always solving people's problems, not just problems for housing, but how they're going to get money and, you know, how we're going to accommodate everyone. Businesses solving problems. She was great at it. I looked up to people like Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, people in history that were like, Amazing women, period. It didn't matter what their background was or whatever, but you can learn from all that. Catherine Graham, that in the Washington Post, she was an amazing person. 
Lady Bird Johnson. There's a million of I've learned from a lot of different people. My parents, especially my father, he's in sales, gosh, 40 years or so. You know, I learned as a little girl, I could do anything I set my mind. I take that with me so today. I think that's something that's really important to instill in young children. You can't do everything, but you can do anything. And as long as you believe and you have confidence in yourself and confidence is built over time. You know, I think confidence is also built through adversity. It can be adversity, trauma, things like that. I said, you know, that old cliche saying of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is true. I think it also gives perspective. And when you have perspective and clarity, I think that also gives confidence and it gives you, you know, when people are like, oh, life happens to me or the other side, life happens for me. I say that life happens through me. Life happens through each of us each day and what actions are you going to take? And so I've had a lot of different coaches also over the years and learned different things from at different parts of my career. One lady who I really always loved her, Betsy Ross. <laughs> she did a lot more than sewing a flag that a lot of people don't really know what she did, but she's definitely somebody of inspiration. We actually still learn from each other. I think it's important too. I agree with Tara. I don't have all the answers. I never will have all the answers. Our company isn't perfect because we're all humans and there is no perfect place, especially in real estate. There's a lot of emotion involved, especially on the residential side. Even some of the commercial side, people lose their mind. So, you know, a real estate office is always going to be like a bit of chaos. The client, listen, there's probably going to be a hiccup in the deal. Probably will be managing expectations. But knowing that we got your back, we know exactly what to do to get to the table. But when this thing happens, whatever that thing is in this transaction, remember that I said we're professionals, we're experts, and we know how to get it to the table. You know, and I think managing expectations is a large part of it as well, because if you tell people everything's going to be just great, then what happens when it isn't? And it never is because we can't control the third-party humans that are involved in the transactions. You mentioned earlier about men taking up most of the leadership roles. How does the representation of women and minorities at those levels impact the industry at large? I think it's a problem that the leadership nationally for men is 75% white, 2% black. Leadership positions are 77% men. I mean, that's... A huge amount considering women represent 65, 67% of the real estate workforce. Some of that is, I think, could be being a mom, you know, not being able to travel to go to some of these meetings like the National Association of Realtors or Pennsylvania Association of Realtors. That's a decision, right? It's a decision to stay home with your children. It's also been the old boys club for a long time. I mean, there's just been sexual harassment suits in the National Association of Realtors where the president stepped down and some other leadership positions have stepped down. It starts like a long time before this. And unless that changes, nothing will change. And it's also, you know, it goes back to the society in general. People at the top are all men and they control all the wealth. They can dictate who gets the jobs with the most money and who doesn't. They're still paying men to do the same exact job that a woman can do more money. We have to change society one little sale at a time. Transaction at a time, I was going to say, right? 
One of the things that we implemented about two years ago was the MQA PA Real Estate Scholarship Program. And it is directed to women and minorities, specifically women. We know that from a minority standpoint, whether it's Hispanic or African-American, it's definitely underserved in the Philadelphia metro market based on the makeup of the citizens in Philadelphia metro market. You know, we've given opportunities to lots of people. We pay for their schooling. We bring them through training. It's been an interesting time for that. <laughs> I think we learned a lot, a lot about people, a lot about what people are willing or not willing to do. Real estate is not an easy business at any stretch of the imagination. And it takes somebody with guts, determination, the ability to be resilient, consistent, showing up and doing the work. A lot of people get in this industry thinking that they're just going to call a few people or they're just going to open some doors or they're going to show pretty houses. It's none of those things. You actually have to work. And if you do the work, work works. Meaning that, you know, this is a context for whether, you know, you're on social media, you're posting, you're calling, you're emailing, you're texting, you're video texting, you're going to networking events, you're putting yourself at places and things where you can engage with other people who are in real estate. In our case, it would be on the investment side, but constantly being out there, being seen, doing videos, being in contribution to both the consumer and for us also the real estate agent and helping people rise up. Right. It's not all like some of the reality shows that we see, right, about real estate and these real estate. It's nothing like the reality. Right. I mean, listen. We can make a reality show of us because some of the things that we have to do are crazy and they're also entertaining. Any story you can share with us? The other day I had to go into a neighborhood that's famous in Philadelphia for being one of the most drug-ridden neighborhoods in the world. And I go there quite often because there are investment properties there and there are just people selling regular houses. It is an area that still needs to have real estate services. And I happened to go on a trash day. I didn't think anything of it. That's just the day I'm going. And I didn't realize that literally hundreds and hundreds of people come to that neighborhood to trash, uh, to try and find anything they can possibly find that they could sell or steal or I I don't know, to get money for their drug habit. It's not something that I even imagined would happen. I thought I was in some kind of apocalypse. I don't think they, you know, Beverly Hills real estate people are going into environments like that. That's an area that still needs people to go there and work. It was a sad commentary on the reality of that part of the market, but it does exist. But I'll say it's Kensington. Nationally, it's known to be like the drug capital of the world, right? And it's a sad part of the Philadelphia landscape right now, but it exists and we go there. There's buildings, there's houses, there's regular people that got caught up in that part of the world and they want to get out of it, maybe. I was there once. I was driving a fancy car at the time and it was a convertible and I ran a red light and East man stopped me and he said, ma'am, what are you doing here? I said, oh, I just had a listing up. We met over there, this building. He's like, roll up your windows and don't ever come back here. It's not safe for you. And that was probably, God, a decade ago. And then also the sheer volume thing. 
you know, you can do the math, but if you sell one forty million dollar mansion, the commission is way different than selling an eighty thousand dollar house in Kensington. I'm not saying that's our whole practice, but we sell those also. But we do sell commercial buildings, you know, five million, two million, whatever. But the point is the other population needs to have someone sell their house as well. And our team does that. That area is getting built up or has been growing in terms of like businesses and things like that too. In real estate in general, it's not all what you see on TV, but they want to put, you know, the beautiful Miami mansions. Listen, I like to watch those shows also. Can you talk a little bit about some of the trends we're going to see in 2024? I think we will see rates come down a little bit. I don't know that it will be enough to move up and sell their home and buy the next home that's yet to be seen. I will tell you that the trend continues that buyers want turnkey properties, meaning you turn the key, you open the door, and you move yourself in. And the only thing you have to do is paint, if that, which they don't even want to do that. People still want to be in a single-family home. There's still a migration from city to burbs or city to shore. There definitely is a bigger migration to living at the beach full-time versus it being a summer home. We've seen that since pandemic. Obviously, there's a change in coming into the city to work. There's a lot of WFH. will continue on for some time. And I think that the change in commercial real estate, not just Philadelphia, but also major market cities, is going to be a tough time over the next decade. A lot of these buildings will be turned into residential, but it all can happen at the same time because you have to absorb that. So we're probably looking at a decade long of change in commercial real estate. And in some areas, um, it's going to drop probably significantly, 25 to 30 percent based on big commercial corporate clients not renewing leases and taking smaller footprints. So that's something that as a, an urban city that we'll need to figure out what that looks like, how that all comes about, what kind of tax credits they can provide the city to keep these developers developing so that the buildings don't become zombie buildings. Do you have any insight into like what's the next hot up and coming area in the tri-state area? I'm always curious if you look at that. I wish I could say with certainty that we had the crystal ball because we would all run out and tie up a bunch of property like Walt Disney did and make a zillion dollars. That's what I'm trying to do, Darren, you know. <laughs> it goes back to the old adage. We're not making this up, people. Location, location, location. Proximity to water is always good. Oceanfront is never going to be a horrible thing. Unless the ocean swallows. Well, unless, right, I, I like to be like a block back, maybe. You know, all of those things, proximity to good school systems, proximity to good transportation, open area, clean environment, all of these things. Amenities, restaurants, things to do. For young women, especially, and anyone wanting a career in real estate, what is your words of wisdom or advice? Don't be delusional. You want to be a success? You have to have faith in yourself and you have to work hard. The only place that success comes before work is in the dictionary. I would say if you want to get into real estate, get in ASAP. The best time was 20 years ago. The next best time, like they say, to buy houses right now. 
Same thing if you're wanting to get into real estate as a profession. I say find yourself a mentor, somebody that you can trust, also somebody that will hold you accountable and tell you the truth. I think that one of the biggest misconceptions from real estate sales is that you have owners and brokers of companies telling you to call your SOI, get your business from your SOI, keep calling them, bring them goodies, this and that. I think that's a bunch of BS. Nobody has enough SOI unless you're like maybe an ex-football player or something. SOI, what is that? So sphere of influence is anybody like that would come to your wedding that knows, likes, and trusts you. Nobody really has a big enough one to make a business. Very few people do. So that means you have to talk to people you don't know. And in order to talk to people you don't know, you have to create a database or go work with somebody that has a database. Otherwise, you're trying to find people to call every day. And that is one of the, not just the, the lack of work and lack of consistency and persistence, but not having people call is another big issue. Why 87% of real estate licensees are out of the business within two years. And right now, the amount of people that are in the business since 2008 is one in 14, so 7%. There's only 7% of us that have existed before 2008. Slow. I'm just curious about COVID and how that affected your business. Well, COVID affected the whole world, right? But it also showed off because we personally have a database and we have good work ethic that we could still sell properties at home. We were isolated or we didn't give up our business. We didn't just fall down and not succeed. So it gave us more energy to the understanding that we're able to overcome these things. I think just as a nation, we handled it pretty well. I know we were locked down. Nobody really liked that or whatever. But I think we came out the other end okay. It got me doing video. Be the solution came about, you know, some positive things from that. I think that people change the way that they want to live. We have clients that move to be closer to family members like mom and dad on one side of the family or the other so that they had built in babysitters because during COVID you couldn't have a babysitter, right? So we see like new ways of living. People moved out to the suburbs and they moved beyond the suburbs into some rural areas that we hadn't seen in a long while. And they don't need to be in the city so they can live away, which is cost less money to live further away for 10 weeks were shut down. So we had to figure out how to get it done and we did. And luckily uh, we had this database that started to work on and launched in December of 2019. We would have had to bring home us on the day we got locked down, hundreds and hundreds of files, just have people's phone numbers, right? That weren't like logged in our phone. So we literally had been using it for, I guess about a year prior to how many, six months? Three months. Three months. Without that database, would have been much different. One of the other things that to me is tremendous is because of a lot of the work now is done and can be done remotely. Like we don't necessarily have to go and waste hours sitting at closings. We could close remotely now. There's mobile notaries that happen. People don't have to fly from other countries to come here now for our closing. It streamlined a lot of that. All right. It is time for our speed round. First question, if you were a house, what type of house would you be? Very simple. I would be a rancher, which is what I live in, that I love. All on one level, easy to maintain, 
nice yard. I'm pretty simple. Nothing fancy. I like your house. You have a great house. I always dreamed of having a old house. A Victorian, one of those big wraparound porches. So that's a house I would be. I like old things. So what's the most unusual feature you've seen in a house? Well, that's easy. I saw a stripper pole. I was going to say the same thing. Was that surprising? Were you caught off guard? No, it was in the basement. Were you caught off guard? No, I already knew about it before I went there. I didn't sell this building, but I showed it to a client and it was a large commercial building and it had like kind of a sex floor, like some S&M stuff that I, I, I don't even know what it was really. <laughs> the whole floor was that. Like a dungeon. Yeah, a dungeon, but it was on like the fifth floor. (laughs) (laughs) Throughout your career, have you encountered any particularly unique, bizarre, or memorable stories, sales, or clients that stand out? I had one, and we represented the seller. The property was on the market. The other agent called me and asked about the murder. Apparently, the old owner of this house, before my client bought it, They had tenants and they weren't paying rent. And so the owner at the time killed the tenants in the basement and put them in a box. So this house, new house, now they gutted the house down to the studs, like everything. But there was a murder there. I didn't know. Anyway, we did sell the house, but we weren't required to disclose it only if it was the first And that's how I knew about murders in houses. What do you mean only if it was the first one? If I was selling the house before my client bought it, then we would disclose it. So for me, my first person I ever sold something to, the most memorable was was actually two brothers. They were investors. And I think I was about 21 years old working in open brokerage. And I kept driving them around, driving them around. That's when they actually went in the car with you. Sometimes they drove me. It felt like a year this was going on. And like with a tear in my eye, I was like, are you guys ever going to buy anything? Like I was getting weary of the whole thing. Anyway, they became very good clients. They were investors. They ended up buying several properties from me. And after the first one closed, I said, why did you stick with me? Because they were literally my first clients. And they said, I was the only one that stuck with them. No. All the other people gave up on them. So I persevered and they, they put up with me. So that was good. You persevered. What's on the top of your bucket list? For me, I would say just having a fun day every day. So for me, I would love to learn to fly a plane. I haven't taken any classes yet or anything like that, but that's definitely on my bucket list. Which celebrity would you choose as your mentor? Living or dead? It's up to you. I'm going with Martha Stewart. I love her. I think she's a person that's prepared. I think she's very smart. I think that she got a bad rap in certain things in her life and still rebounded. You're going with Arianna Huffington. Self-made. She started her business at 50. She started her business in her mid-50s. It takes guts. We do a segment called Question Down the Lane. And at the end of each interview, we ask our interviewee to answer a question from a previous guest. What was a book in high school that meant a lot to you or that you shared with your friends? Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. 
by Judy Blue. <laughs> the only thing I can think of right now. I read that. So I'm not sure if this was in high school. It might have been after, but I'm going to use it anyway because it's a book that I love and I think everybody should read it because it's hysterical. It's called A Confederacy of Dunces. I just think it's one of the funniest books ever written. And the person that wrote it won a Pulitzer Prize posthumously. Where can our listeners learn more about your agency? The best place to go is to Google Maria Quattrone and Associates and take a look at what the general public has to say about us. We have about 600 reviews from people that have used our services in the past and some that haven't peers in the industry or whatever. That's the first place. And the second place is we actually have a brick and mortar office. We're at 2054 South Street and we're willing to take a meeting with people that want to see us in person. Thank you, Maria and Dara, for joining us on this Podcetera. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share Podcetera. And be sure to follow and like the series wherever you enjoy podcasts. For Podcetera, I'm Renee Lego. And I'm Joelle Ludovich. Thanks for listening. See you next time.